This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorne, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorne is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements, the tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the Products do what they say they're going to do on the label, and then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, 
you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back onto the show my good friend, Jesse Salas. Now, Jesse is a retired Orlando firefighter and the director of coaching for foundation training. So we discuss a host of topics from holistic alternatives for cancer treatment, the evolution of foundation training, strength training, blood flow restriction, working with jujitsu legends and world champion up-and-comers, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Each five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of 730 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Jesse Salas. Enjoy. Well, Jesse, I want to say thank you so much for coming back on the Behind the Shield podcast. The last time that we did an interview, I think it was four years ago now, if I'm not mistaken, and we did it in the back garden of your friend's house, and it was face-to-face, and it was awesome. Um, So, firstly, tell me where on planet Earth you are and what you're drinking and why. Well, brother, thank you for having me back. I'm excited to, to hopefully share some good stuff with anybody listening. Um, I'm currently on the North shore of Oahu and yeah, I got myself a, a, a spot of tea for the queen cause I'm doing no coffee. I had a realization after leaving the fire service that since I started at 17, I started drinking coffee at 19 when my first Lieutenant paid Lieutenant went, you drink coffee? Nope. Well, you're gonna. And <laughs> he was a coffee guy all day. I became a coffee guy all day. And it dawned on me two years ago, or yeah, last year, New Year's, that I had never done any kind of, no, I did one break when I was doing a free diving course for three months, but otherwise I've never done a a stretch. And so um, really looking at the long-term effects of stress, and I look at, I try to study people that are aging really well, and they have a really healthy ability to go parasympathetic. And they have a really strong ability. I, I just watched a documentary on Jerry Lopez, an iconic surfer from the, the you know the seventies, and he's always been known as the the yoga Zen master. But he was an iconic, stylish surfer, and um, he was a he was a warrior in the water and a Zen Buddhist on land is how they kind of describe him. And just looking at him, I went, you know, I'm so good at being. Ah, um, I can chill, but I want to get better at it because I do believe that plays such a powerful role in how we're aging as we get older, just turned 40. And so now I'm looking at how do I get the the most out of this, this uh, meat whistle I'm traveling around in. Have you experimented with the mushroom teas at all? 
The four sigmatic or the like psilocybin psychedelic teas? No, no, yeah, yeah. The, the more like the, the regular mushroom, lion's mane, all those ones that they have in like a coffee substitute. Yeah, um, I haven't done the mud water, although everyone praises it. I just kind of got on to, I've always dabbled in tea. Um, I just started buying all sorts of random brands of tea to see which one I really liked. I could have just yelped, I guess, but uh, or done reviews. But um, I found some teas I like. I do the Four Sigmatic um, matcha every so often, but once I got a proper matcha tea, it really blew my mind on how much I like it without all the little sweeteners and the mushrooms. I put Paul Stamen mushroom immune support in my morning matcha or whatever tea I'm drinking every day. I've got a whole stack I do in that. Um, there's a ton of health benefits to the, to all the adaptogen mushrooms. Uh, there's no denying it. My dad was diagnosed with cancer this last year and we went to an alternative medicine doctor because the VA was just, that's a whole story in itself, but it was an eye opener. And he actually was right away, you know, for, you're not for Sigmatic, uh, Paul Stamet mushroom. He gave us all sorts of research to read on that. He was recommending melatonin, all sorts of medical research around that. And um, a really good CBD, all sorts of research on and basically fundamentals that we need to make sure in your diet. And so, hey, all of those are proven to be beneficial for all of us. And I just kind of work them in. So that's a long answer to your question. I do like those teas, um, but uh, I'm kind of sticking to the the traditional style right now and just adding what what I need. And how's your dad doing after the holistic therapies? Amazing. And what I want to say for anybody out there, because I know in the fire service, um, you know, we're, what I say is like, know your enemy. We're three, what is it? Three times more likely to come down with cancer than anybody else. And so that's always been a big trigger for me. Um, my dad was PSA score of a nine something. Um, and what I'll tell you is I found this guy right away and started researching you know, looked at, listened to, went back and dug in the archives from Ben Greenfield podcast. He went from a that score. He's now at like a 6.2. So his PSA score went down. And I, my understanding is a six or below, they don't even bother, like, whatever. It's not an issue. We're not diving any deeper. So that to me is insane. Um, we found an integrative medicine doctor and, um, you know, right away when my dad had it, I went down some rabbit holes, the book Tripping Over the Truth. Ben Greenfield talked about it a lot and said, if you're diagnosed with it, at the minimum, go straight to the back of the book and start applying what he talks about in there. Um, we right away got on coffee enemas. We got on ozone therapy. I bought them an ozone unit at the start of COVID. And we, my brother and I also had gotten them a sauna at the start of COVID. So we were just like, you need to be hammering the sauna. You need to get into a good ketosis for a while. No sugar. And then just he started doing daily coffee enemas. He looked at me like I was crazy when I first threw that at him. Um, and then he got on the ozone every day. And then we went to the integrated med doc within a week. Um, and he was very casual. And he just was like, look, everything I see, you're, you're um, not in an aggressive state. He gave him, you know, the, the stuff I already mentioned. Then he gave him what he says is his kind of like, cocktail of um super drugs that most people don't think about one of them was ivermectin the other two i don't remember off the top of my head um but he started him on those he was like everything your son's got you doing keep doing it and then um you know he's like 
Let's see how you go over the next six months. Then come back in. It's not aggressive. I'm not stressing. That day, the VA called. And it was a guy who wanted to discuss radiation. And the language he used was the most fear-inducing, just, had we not talked to this guy, it would have been, oh, my God. You know, you have a radical, aggressive cancer, da 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 Lo and behold, my dad just goes, the VA is basically people are calling because they want they want the job to get to be the company to do chemo or whatever it was, you know, and and my dad was just like, not yet. Thank you. We'll let you know. And we just went this route and it's been reduced. He had some other other stuff pop up that we're seeing as kind of a um, long COVID result, you know, heart related stuff and then kind of some from exposure to to um, to. Uh, Asian orange in Vietnam. There's a lot of side effects that were starting to go. Oh, wait a minute. That's not long COVID. Those are side effects of heavy. He was infantry, you know, light infantry. And he's like, I remember stories and being like, I was drenched in that stuff. So now we're kind of following up with the VA of like, hey, because you need to, you have to apparently proactively make them aware that there was even exposure, which is crazy to me in the VA. It was crazy to me that whole process. And I know they mean well, but um, seeing what went on and now, I've just looked up more clinics in Mexico and other proactive approaches because like you, I'm always going, what can I share with my brother still in the fire service? What can I share with that collective community? And I always say it's it's a challenge because you're asking them to go against what every doctor out there is saying is what you need to do and look at that there's another potential. So it's very challenging, but what they're doing in Mexico, what I'm learning about certain things that go on in Europe and other places that are just have been illegal in America is mind blowing. So I just encourage everybody be willing to look outside of what you, what you know, and be willing to go across that border. (laughs) They can do a way, they can do a lot more for us than they're allowed to do here. And it's stuff that really is effective. So that that's kind of how I leave it on that note of the cancer of my dad. So I've talked about this a lot recently, the the kind of arrogance of modern society and the way that we look at so many areas, but medicine is a perfect example. We both know there are some phenomenal surgeons, some phenomenal emergency medications that, you know, so it's not all medicine is bad, but the disregarding of ancient wisdom and plant medicine is, is you look back and you're like, what the fuck were we thinking? And the thing with cancer and I would put my hand on my heart and say that this is the route that I would go. I, as a very basic level member of the medical community, i.e. a paramedic, I do not understand the philosophy that the best way to treat cancer is to agent orange the entire fucking body and then fingers crossed, let's hope the good cells grow back. I don't. Un- it doesn't make any sense to me. What does make sense to me is that you do everything you can to put the body as close to homeostasis as it can be because the body is a freaking miracle. And if anything is going to reverse heart disease, reverse diabetes, reverse cancer, it's going to be the body in its most optimal form. Yeah, absolutely, James. And, and I'll tell you, I went and donated blood today. I let's see my little band. Um, just I went down the rabbit hole again on <clears throat> why donating blood <clears throat> to lower your iron levels is so important. And I was just looking at it as, okay, I want to reduce the iron levels, but it goes so deep across the board of all of these effects on the body, especially for 
Um, I think it was postmenopausal women and then men over the age of 40, um, the viscosity of your blood, the effect on the liver. And yeah, the, the, our medicine as we know it in America, as you start to go down the rabbit hole is still relatively new, uh, you know, Rockefeller and those guys, everything I've read, it was like the early 1900s, probably, I want to say 1920s. Pushed, made it a point to push out Eastern practices. Eastern medicine has been around for 3000 years. I mean, you can date this stuff back. And so I go into, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, don't, don't do what I did as a fireman and go, get that hippie crap out of here. You know, go rub your crystal somewhere else. There's enough research now. And I know we've, we might've touched on it the last time. There's enough research around the benefits of walking barefoot. The connectivity we have with the earth, you know, the trees release carbon dioxide or we release carbon dioxide, the trees absorb it, they release oxygen, we absorb that. We're so interconnected, yet we separate ourselves from the earth and we we kind of treat it as something that we're on top of instead of just something that we're truly a part of, you know. And so I I kind of I kind of laugh now at all the research coming out around breath work. And I look at back in the day, the yoga hippies that everyone would bag on, but yet they're showing some profound research around having a breath practice, breath holds, the hypoxia effect on the body for stress management, but for also um, improve, just improving overall health factors. And that was one of the things that when I did go down the rabbit hole for my dad, I mean, it was, it was true late nights of like, just kind of going in, okay, why does this thing have an effect on this? Why ozone? Why hyperbaric chambers? Why coffee enemas? And, and everything I kept going back to was supporting detoxification of the body, supporting the liver. So then you get into coffee enemas, you get into fasting, you know, you get into things like fasting and then sauna, ketogenic fasting, sauna, mistletoe. It's a rabbit hole, but the oxygenation aspect, ozone, ther- ozone, ozone gas, helps the body better oxygenate, you know, lucky for him. He's again, you know, and I always get the, the fireman buddies when I share like a big bag of prepared coffee enema, nothing beyond like the bag hanging my guaranteed three or four of my fireman buddies will send me a message. You've really gotten weird, huh? And <laughs> you know, we talk, I tell them, I know, I know the jokes are a curiosity base and nothing going near my butt. That said, the, the rectal ozone therapy, he's he's literally pushing ozone gas right to the area, you know, right to the prostate. And there's so much research around it. And um, it's just, it's mind blowing. So I, I try to encourage people, be open-minded. It's so easy for us to get said, like sedentary in our mindset. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this quote a million times to this, I'm sure. A gentleman that's working with us at Foundation Training said it the other day that, if you're, hold on, don't let me mess it up. If you're comfortable, you're corroding. And if you're current, you're flowing. And like the ocean, you want to be flowing because if you're corroding, you're building barnacles and you want to be flowing like the ocean. So I, I just say, you know, be curious. Don't shut something out. Have the like, Oh, that's interesting mode instead of like, ah, shit. Like if you do something wrong or you make a mistake, big takeaways from Huberman is laugh. Like if you can laugh, if you can find humor in it or 
make light of what's going on, your brain doesn't lock up and start to make more mistakes. You open it up to learn and actually process and let the the deep wiring start to slowly connect and fire and then build the pattern of whatever it is you're trying to learn. So that's been my that's been my rabbit hole these years of okay, I know now that I'm into my 40s that the plasticity of my brain that went out the window in the late 20s, but I believe that we can keep it plastic by being uncomfortable, learning new things. Even before we start talking, I was sitting here going through just juggling patterns just to try to get my brain on for what we're going to do. And um, that's why I do salsa these days. That's why I play around with instruments and languages and everything else is just, okay, am I corroding or am I going to get uncomfortable and deal with having to learn something out of my zone? And um, paid off in the fire service, you know, looking at training like, oh, I, I felt there's like, oh, why do we got to go train? Then wait a minute. When you were in the academy, you couldn't wait to go put that stuff on and get to go through the scenarios and pretend. When did you become that guy? And then when I flipped that switch, I didn't go into training. And what I saw too is my lieutenant had said this, Sean, guys are afraid to be exposed. And I think we talked about it. You've talked about this. Guys don't want to be exposed. And so then we get more and more like, oh, what if I screw up in front of everybody? Well, if you're not the ego monster. You acknowledge that, hey, every one of us can have a day where we fuck up. And if you do, you laugh about it and be like, damn, all right, I know where I need to get better. You shift everything about going to do the, oh, fuck, training. And I'll tell you, as a guy that's not on the job anymore, those are the days I look back and be like, damn, there's some good times. That was some fun. Those fire calls, the training times, the times with the boys, that was some good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that was the thing. The hands-on training, I absolutely love. Some of the, uh, God, what they call that program? I forget now. Anyway, the online training where it's the same thing every year, you know, and it's sensitivity training, whatever. Yeah, I can understand the aversion to that. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was always chomping at the bit because my brain doesn't retain. So when yeah. we're doing, you know, ropes or extrication, I'm like, how the fuck do you do a clamshell again? Or, you know, how do we tie the, the Z-rig? Yeah. So I have to keep doing it. Otherwise, it just falls on my brain. Some of these guys are amazing. It's like a steel trap. But mine's more like a colander. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. Not me. I was a, I was a repetition guy. I had to do it again and again and again. And I clung to, uh, I clung to the idea of I'm going to do it so many times that I'm not worried I'm going to get it right. I'm going to do it so many times I know I can't get it wrong. And again, that was through pressure testing because I had a crew that was just, you know, pressure testing is 24-7. And so I one day it just dawned on me, like, I have to do so many reps because I was tired of one of the guys being like, what the fuck? I showed you this last shift. Mm -hmm. It was like, aha moment, rep, rep, rep. I remember doing... We all um, learned differently. Say again? No, go ahead. I just said we all learned differently. And I... I that's been a skill that I brought into the, I'd say the civilian world um, is recognizing it in how do I learn, but then working with other people is sometimes I'll ask them and other times I just watch and I look, how do they learn? Are they a visual? Do they need to have it explained? Do they need repetition? And I use that to mold how I go about my coaching and, and connecting with people. But you were going to say something. Well, I was going to say that what was a real aha moment for me is I did a full week rope ops course in the Florida State Fire Academy. And then I think we had, I don't know if it was even three weeks, two weeks maybe. And then we did um, the rope tech, so the advanced one. 
And it wasn't just me. A bunch of us were like, we did this for a week solid. So we were, you know, rigging with our eyes closed in the basic class. And then we're like, how the fuck do we do this again? And now when I look back retroactively, because I've seen it in myself, the sleep deprivation is a real Mm. barrier to knowledge retention and skill retention as well. So on top of the gamut of other reasons why we need to fix that in the fire service another one is you just can't retain skills so you know you can study a protocol book and then two shifts later you're like i can't remember any of the drug doses my brain is just gone again or you know the map that's in my mind how to get this call gone just like brick wall now it's scary all the information on on sleep deprivation and and you know what I say to everybody, especially after I left, was I'm I became such a guardian of my sleep, and not from the research, but just from going. Okay, I I acknowledge that for pretty much 17 years of my life, I was on this crazy schedule, and I was at very busy stations, and now it's um you know I look at what tools enhance sleep. It, sleep is a superpower for us. It's a it's the ultimate recovery. It's the ultimate optimize your training. And so utilizing in, I I always say I cycle it. I don't do anything consistent for one time, but utilizing things like ZMA, zinc, magnesium, and B6 powerhouse, utilizing melatonin at the right times and very high doses, which is a little bit uh, taboo at the moment, but there's a lot of research coming out around that. Um, You know, eating earlier in the evening and, and holding myself to not not um, snacking before bed and just all the little, all the little items that can bring out sleep. I've just made it a point, you know, down to, okay, fighting to not let the phone win and start playing and looking at dumb shit before bed and picking up a book, you know, especially fiction. Cause I, that helps me just even more detach and little yoga, little stretch, but you know, I have to acknowledge I'm in a position nowadays where I have, the luxuries to play with this. And a lot of people don't have that. So I always say like, check out these supplements, try to eat dinner earlier, try to get exercise before dinner or exercise after dinner and just start shifting the mindset that you're slowly shutting down for the day. And if you can catch that sunrise and that sunset, you're really winning. I think at this point, everybody's listening to Huberman Lab, so they know that one. Um, But that was a big one for me was always, anytime I was traveling anywhere was, I got to catch the sunrise. I got to catch the sunset. I need to get into rhythm with now that I'm in London or now that I'm in Australia or wherever I've traveled to at the time is let me set the clock. And that just has been the the big game shift for me. I had a guest on Professor Russell, Fo- Russell Foster, who was the guy, you know, spearheaded the team that found the uh, chrono receptors in the eye. So oh, wow. human quotes a lot of his work. I don't know if I've ever heard him credit that work i'm not sure but anyway so he's got an amazing book called lifetime um so when people think about sleep they're like oh what you know matthew walker why we sleep i recommend lifetime just you know from the actual you know one of the original founders of this entire neuroscience um fascinating so um so when it comes to sleep another problem i see probably in the people that you were around the you know the people that are really chomping at the bit to do a great job in this profession and going to smoke divers and do all this thing one of the things that worries me is you see a lot of people oh i'm going to go and do kokoro camp or i'm going to do this 48 hour ruck thing and uh one of my friends is deep into that but he's a civilian never done you know shift work or anything 
And he's like, yeah, you should come do it with me. I'm like, mate, I didn't sleep for 14 years. There is no fucking way you can persuade me to voluntarily do that anymore. I know what that suck feels like and it is miserable. But some of these, some of these things like 70, 70, 75 hard or 70 hard, they seem to be doing really good things. But I think that whole, you know, get up at 5 a.m. and all that stuff, that message is great if you're going to bed at nine and you're not on shifts. But we have to, as the fire service, remember that that's kind of aimed at the dude at the desk. That's not aimed at someone who's working 56 plus hours a week for decades of their life. Very, very true. And that this is a conversation I had recently with a couple clients is they want to grind and they love getting up at 5 a.m. But they were well, the conversation we just had, it turned into, look, I'm all for it. But not at the sacrifice of your sleep, because in the long run, that grind isn't going to benefit anything. It's not going to benefit anything. And, and I'm, you know. I remember those days and and wanting to, you know, look at the crazy mock buds or the, you know, I, I'm more of a fan of like the, um, the uh, adventure races that go through the night and you got to navigate and you got to go through crazy terrains in the woods. But at this point I get into um, what's the juice in the squeeze. I understand wanting to have these moments where you test yourself. Uh, but Overall, the the benefits I look at is really like if you have a clear why and what it is you're trying to do, you can kind of deduct it. But sleep, you can't sacrifice it. Training, I, I think what happens is we get addicted to the grind. We especially, especially I'll put myself in that circle of a guy who was on the high speed units, come off shift. I'm going to go surf now. I'm going to go this I'm gonna, and just run, 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 run. And I can remember the minute I would stop doing anything. People used to think I had a gift that I could sleep anywhere. Well, it wasn't I could sleep anywhere. It's just any moment I was riding in the back of a truck or when we do the fire department Costa Rica trips and we'd be driving an hour and a half to get to a wave and I'd be sitting in the back passed out, you know, that riding in the heavy rescue, coming back from across town from an extrication, I'd be passed out, you know, middle of the day riding around. If they if no one was talking to me, I just fall asleep. And it was just because I was running so hard, but I never realized it. I just was like all the time on. And that's the balance that I say that I think is like Tony Blower said this to me one time is looking at like the samurai. You want to be a fierce warrior when it counts, but you should also be able at the same time be the artist, the Zen, the, the meditation. And when you look at them, there was this perfect balance, you know, at least in the, in the um, archetype that we acknowledge as a samurai is that, they could be a warrior, but they could also, you know, meditate and calm and find inner peace. And so that's what I talk about now with the no coffees is more about, okay, I know I can go hard. I know I can be in this fight or flight intense, but you really suck at going into the mellow, you know? And so that's, that's what I look at for everybody is you want to, you want to push, you really want to train, train your body's ability to, to chill the fuck out. You know, the long-term benefit, you know, you want to be there for more important things, you know, or, or are you want to be there for the people in your life that you hope to be around for? Or do you want to continuously try to prove something to someone that you're badass? And don't get me wrong. I look at these guys and like, fuckers, badass. But at what cost? And guess what? We're all decaying. We're all getting older. 
how do you want your body functioning as you get older? Like I absolutely love David Goggins and what he's about, but I think David Goggins is going to be very much like, um, I, I fear he's going to be very much like uh, Ronnie Coleman. I love everything that Goggins is about, but I fear that eventually that's where he's going to go. And I hope I'm wrong because I do draw a lot of inspiration from the guy. I love his book. I love his motivations. I listen to him all the time. And I'm like, hell yeah. But, you know, it seems like no one really wants to have that conversation with him because they, they like he's so fixed, like you're not in my tribe if you don't buy into this. It's like, well, you know, you got a lot of injuries that you've driven your into your own body, and I don't know, man. Like, hopefully, he's got that balance going. Well, it's interesting is when you're talking about that being on, yeah, you know, being stuck in a sympathetic, which is obviously something I've discussed a lot on here. Then you had coffee; that was totally me as well. I was a coffee monster from morning to night. Um, and we're talking about deregulation of the nervous system. Then you look at the hormonal impact of sleep deprivation and so many people now, men especially, that are fucking young that are already hooked on exogenous testosterone because now they used to go back in and be like, your testosterone's fine, which was bullshit because the scale was, you know, the lower end of the scale was an 80-year-old, not, you know, a 30-year-old firefighter. But now it's gone the other way. Oh, let me have a look. Oh, shit. Yeah, you need 2,000, you know, whatever metrics of uh, of testosterone. And I see it. I see it everywhere now. And it's sad because you can, you know, holistically change your tea back to where it needs to be by understanding your sleep, by advocating for more time off between shifts, you know, as a unified fire department, your nutrition, your sleep, your breath work. But then you look at infertility in American men full stop. And part of that is hormonal, but I wonder as well, you know, parasympathetic, excuse me, parasympathetic is called feed and breed. How much of that impotence that we're seeing, which in itself is also a terrifying red flag for heart disease, but is there an element as well that people can't get into that, you know, totally in that moment with their partner, hence aroused because you're still fucking going at a thousand miles an hour in your head and you haven't actually been able to turn off to turn on the very thing that you know, you used to boast about when you were 18. Yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, it's all connected. And man, the, the, the hyper use of testosterone, the overuse of porn, I think the, the numbing sensation of that. And, and again, like go back. I never thought I would be saying any of it. I, I'm, I don't watch porn. You know, yeah, as a fireman, Jesse, you'd be like, you guys see this stuff for free on your device? <laughs> and, and but you look at that, and it was another way to stimulate, to be on, to give yourself a thrill. Oh, I'm bored. Oh, this. Oh, I'm going to watch some porn. I'm going to, uh, you know, and like, and not only that is then you have, in a sense, if you really think about it, you're giving yourself the thrill of the hunt without actually hunting. You have the release of what's supposed to come through, I don't know, a little bit of natural out in nature hunting, if you will, if you want to really think like an animal, but going out there and the time it takes to meet someone new, to make the connection, to have a conversation and genuinely pair bond and then get to that point where, oh man, there's a lot more to this instead of what, you know, really breeds out from watching that stuff over and over and just kind of using it at using another person as an outlet you know, instead of a, a, you know, 
a person that you can actually connect and share something with. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think um, I think the the hyper use of testosterone is is scary. And I say for everybody, if you got low T, try everything before you do that stuff. You know, I, I'm sure you've had enough people talk about it, but the right strength program, the right diet, and prioritizing your sleep. ZMA is a huge one for helping boost testosterone, you know, um, getting those things in place. And it's simpler than most people think, I believe, but it just, it's habits. It takes, it takes work. Like I, I did, um, back in September, I don't know, October, November, I went and did all my blood panels again, very pro I've been very proactive about that stuff. And, um, I want to say I was, you know, in the high 700s testosterone, which I guess is fine. But, you know, I'm always looking at it going, okay, I'm going to pull blood again in another week or two, see where I'm at. And then I'm going to experiment with some natural remedies that I want to see, like, do they give me more? Can I train in a certain way to get more out of it? Now I'm kind of on this kick of like trying to do blood work every couple months for a little while to play. Um, Cause I really want to, I really want to look at what habits I can do now to head off what they say are the things we lose with aging, which is power our our ability to be explosive goes away first strength second and then um i want to say it's like flexibility is kind of the next one if you're talking about skill sets and then you know you look into sarcopenia osteopenia deterioration of muscle and bone but i'm really in this mode i want to kind of try to gauge everything over this year so that i can do markers as i go 45 50 60 and um you know how simple can i make training to take care of those arenas and then do all the other shit that I actually want to be doing. That's not inside the gym. I did blood. Um, I think I talked about this just the other day, actually, but I pulled, I had a life scan. So they pulled blood and it was right when I was post-surgery from the very last knee surgery I had, which I healed to the point where I could go back and I handed my papers in and, and retired right there and then. So I was still basically on the back end of sleep deprivation from shift and then shitty sleep from the injury. And at that time, my T was, I think it was like 560 or something. So anyway, I hadn't had a medical for four years. So just a few months ago, um, I did one again with my, uh, I've got kind of like a functional medicine doctor now. Um, yeah. And a friend of mine is his nurse practitioner. So we did it through them. Four years older, so 48 years old now. No, you know, exogenous testosterone at all. It was like 720, I think it was. And again, I don't do anything super deliberately, but it was just a testimony. And if you look at James Gearing, you're not going to be like, oh man, that guy's dripping with testosterone. I'm not 220. You know, I, I, I don't have a giant beard. I'm, you know, pretty skinny looking <laughs> dude. So that was the point though, is I was four years older and my T was, you know, 25, 30% better. So, and the only difference really, because I was consistently training the whole time on shift and, you know, after I retired, was sleep that was the one the one factor so that's what i tell people i'm not just hypothesizing i've seen it within myself yeah what what do you feel like training wise it, it with i mean yeah the sleep for sure what do you feel like training wise though if you were deducting down is uh, is a big payoff as far as like bang for the buck time for you anyway so because of the injuries i picked up through my career and I was doing stunts, martial arts, firefighting, you know, so it's not just solely, oh, it was this one thing stepping off the rig that everyone thinks it is. You know, my my back 
was what brought me to you guys in the first place. And that's been phenomenal. You know, as long as I maintain my training, it stays strong. The knees, that's an actual meniscus snip that I had done on both sides. And so that's missing cartilage now. So that's been a little bit harder. So it's not being like heavy, like they say, oh, lift heavy, you know, get all that muscle mass when you're in your 40s. For me, it's just, it's been playing. I'm back in jujitsu now. I'm doing CrossFit when I feel like doing CrossFit. Um, you know, so that's the big thing is not focusing too much on, oh, I'm this age. I've got to do this as much as I can to improve muscle mass or whatever. It's almost, what can I do? Okay, this is holding me back. My knees, all right, I'm going to do more foundation training. I'm going to start doing some knees over toes programming. Um, so that's been really it. I haven't been focusing on, you know, a specific lifting routine or anything. I'm just moving. And if I feel like, okay, I can't move very well on this plane or this joint, how do I fix that? And then let's move on. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing the what I've seen with people that they tie to the training. Like it needs to be this. I need to put all this muscle on. And I'll tell you, it. it I am – personally 20 pounds less than I was when I was in the fire service um, with all the lift and mine was always lifting. You know, I was, I was way stockier. Um, Everyone always jokes. My quads were twice the size of what they are now. But what I found was that didn't work once I got out here and I had found a lot of restrictions in the way I move and um, the way I feel now and function. And I, I look at it as that you don't need to live in the gym and even, even, for testosterone benefit is hobbies that that are going to bring it out. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff saying that being in that tribe of jujitsu, being around other men in where you're getting to exercise these innate um, warrior desires in us, that has an effect on your testosterone. I've heard, I'm just going to say heard, um, things like archery, you know, thing, things uh, where you're out there shooting a bow can have an effect on it. I don't know if there's truth to that. Maybe it's just the being in nature. Maybe it's being around other, other people that are active. But, you know, when I, when I really look at training stuff now, I'm, I'm a, um, how's your body weight stuff? How's your strength through that? Can you upregulate tension? How's your mobility? Um, and, and then making the list like, Having having a couple of days for me, it's like a couple of days where I'll do like one or two days a week and sometimes only one where I might do the fundamental quote unquote big lifts and I don't chase numbers. I chase like I want it to be challenging for today. You know what I think you would say from the lifting days in the in the books, like a senior lifter would come in and go based on how they feel today, find a weight that's going to be like, oh, OK, that's tough for my deadlift today. And now I'm going to do a set of five at that weight. RPE. And I kind of what's that RPE. Exactly. Yeah. That rate of perceived exertion. I am. And otherwise really getting good with protocols from the kettlebell that are, are supporting the, the really like helping support and boost like your mitochondrial function is how I took it. When the last time I went to a strong first cert around um, some of these protocols they're putting out that are designed to, not give you the acid bath, but give you a pro basically building endurance and your ability to produce power. So it seems counter, it just seems too easy for a lot of people when you're doing it. 
But when I've given it to some professional athletes, the the profound things I hear the next day is like, bro, I felt so good the next day. Or, dude, I woke up with the biggest morning. Uh, you know, I felt so on and horny the next day. It's like, that's the feedback I look to hear from what we did. That tells me what these guys are saying in the courses that I'm like doing my best to understand. Like deep science, amazing. I'm, I'm like with a net trying to catch one butterfly in all of it. But when someone tells me like, dude, this is how I felt the next day. I'm okay. That what they're explaining, that means we're getting it. And that's what I look at from your workouts. Like you should wake up the next day and be feeling like really good. I filled the cup up. I didn't dump everything out. And I think if you can start wrapping your head around that sort of training and looking to go in the gym and not destroy, but challenge, you're going to see you're going to see a shift in, you know, everything, especially, especially if you're going no sleep. Most of the guys want to, you know, I, we were there wanting to go and just grind, grind, grind instead of what I've said to them, get off. If you didn't sleep, okay, go sit in the sauna, detox, do some stretching, go home and go to bed. And everyone always tells me like, I can't, I got kids, I've got this, I've got that. And I get it, but you got to figure out something that's going to bring a balance. Otherwise, Eventually, who's going to look after him when you run yourself into the ground? Because you can't right now. I mean, that's that's real. That's the reality. It's like no, I get. And I say to people all the time, no, hey, look, I get it. But here's the here. That's fine. But if you don't have a talk with your wife, if you don't figure something out, this is the reality. And I'm I'm only telling you to try to help you before five years down the road, you're there and you're just like, what the fuck? You know, when your health just seems like all of a sudden all the wheels blew off at once. Well, staying on that theme, when yeah, it was a, it was an injury that brought me to foundation training, and then I was a full on, you know, I was preaching, shouting from the rooftops. I went and got certified, taught my entire department, and to this day, I still give random strangers, you know, cards with the twelve minute link on it, and saying, "Look, when you get home, go check this out. When you're ready for more, go to this website." Um, so I'm a prophet, you know, through and through. When I taught my department. I'm, I may have been the same. If you're not in pain, you're like, what is this bullshit? Now, older and wiser and, you know, several injuries later, I'm like, no, this is, this is incredible. But the worst case scenario is you get someone who's already hurt and use foundation to fix them. The best case scenario is you put it as a tool in the toolbox so that you never hopefully ever get to that point. Um, so talk to me about the study with LA County and then, your perception clearly there's going to be a buy-in of someone who's in pain and they realize it's going to get them out of pain. How do you address and inspire the people, like you said, they're early in the career and giving this resilience before they get hurt? Yeah. Yeah. If you're young and you're early in your career, look at the people that are aging really well. Look at the guys that are functioning really well and pick their brains. That's what I'm going to say right out the gate. What are they doing? But with LA County, the big takeaways we had before I go into what we did, the big takeaways we had, we saw improvement on lung volume. We saw improvement on grip strength. We saw a decrease in mental stress by something like 46%. And the likelihood of a back injury was reduced. Now to go backwards, how is it reduced? Well, we tested 
the the survey started with like 30 plus people and then brush fires kicked off and we only had 12 that were able to hold to this. But what we did was we assessed their their muscular endurance via McGill's kind of what he talks about from um, for low back endurance test on the likelihood of a back injury based on how you score on this. And um, we tested that. Everyone improved. We did an FMS screening, functional movement screening. Everybody was one point off from basically like you're going to get an injury. And that could be in the next six months, year, but it's inevitable based on what they were scoring. Once you cross over that marker, everybody improved by a significant amount. Evan's got all the, all the actual numbers, but everyone there increased the lung volume, you know, the improvement in lung volume is significant because that's becoming a predicator, predicator of lifespan. So that alone was pretty big. Grip strength is now seen as another predicator of lifespan. They improved on grip strength. And all they were doing was 10 minutes a day, five days a week for eight weeks of foundation training. And they followed along a workout. They had three or four workouts. They got to choose which one they were doing it. And so when we went in, there's always the people that are curious. There's the people in pain that are usually the ones arms crossed and are kind of like the most standoffish because they've tried everything else. And they, you know, they're, they're, they're at a point where, okay, another person's telling me they can help me. And I see that all the time. I saw that with Hicks and Gracie. Um, but the guys playing grab ass, the guys are kind of like, okay, I don't want to do your fancy yoga. I just dosed them a little bit harder. You know, I, th those guys, I, I let them feel it. And what I say for everybody is recognizing that when you're doing this stuff, you're one, you're priming the way your body moves. And that's important because our bodies are adapting good or bad to our environment. And we sit a lot. We sit often and your body is essentially a candle that's collapsing in and melting in on itself. That makes things really shitty for the muscles to optimally work how they're supposed to and balance force amongst all them. So when you put all your gear on, you're not dispersing uniformly amongst all the muscle. You're getting the ones that are usually used to doing the work. And then if you're coming off a sitting position, you're Likelihood, there's a tendency towards your pelvis being tucked like a like a lowercase c, if you will. Shoulders rounding, head forward, feet twisted out like a like a you know where they're walking with the end of their thighs. That already is setting you up for a car whose alignment's off, and you're about to go ask it to redline and really perform on the track. But go further. You're collapsing it on yourself over and over and over all day long, the body's adapting. And now we see digestive issues. You see nerve communication issues, blood flow issues. You start thinking about respiration. Let's go back to all the guys out there that really want to be badass and perform high level. Well, if you're in that collapsed position all the time, or you don't have the ability to guide your breath to make the rib cage expand and open up 360 degrees. So if you're listening, sit up tall and see, can you breathe up and into the back of your rib cage without your chest pushing out in front of you, flaring open rather like sitting up tall. And I'll say for anybody who's listening, sit up tall, think about 
your clavicle bones are your high point. The crown of your head, tap the top of your head, is reaching up to the sky, and you're in an open, expansive posture. Now, through your nose, do your best to control the inhale and feel the back of your ribs open up. It's very challenging, especially if you're a weightlifter, because we're so used to being in hyperextension with the ribs pushed out because we believe we're setting our back into a good position to pull weight, or we never breathe up there or we breathe shallow into the chest. So just that alone now allows your diaphragm to open up. Anybody that's forgotten from EMT school or medic school, that diaphragm is the muscle of respiration. It's connected all the way around inside your rib cage, 360 degrees. And so if you're not opening up the back of the ribs, the sides of your ribs, the front of your ribs, that diaphragm is not fully getting to open. And so what does that say for your respiration? What does that say for your ability to truly expand and open up the ribs? Or if you have a little bit of that collapse all the time, you're compressing down on the solar plexus, a big bundle of nerves under there. And that it's right up under there by the diaphragm. And if you're collapsed down on that, what is that doing, you know, for, for nerve flow, nerve communication? And those, those communicate with respiration and they communicate with digestion, a whole bunch of other stuff. But your ability to pick yourself up off of that and breathe and challenge the breath and learn how to expand your rib cage, not let it drop, how to engage your abdominal, deep layer abdominal, so that you're challenging that built-in weight belt of your spine, the transversus abdominis, which is behind everyone's sexy six-pack or beer belly, whatever you might be sporting. But it's back there. And you learn to challenge that and lengthen it. And suddenly your breathing becomes this super reset. And as you know, James, and anybody that's doing foundation training now, you start to incorporate that breath with the exercises where now you're being challenged to recruit all these muscles you're not used to using and challenging them to work together. And then you're challenging them to work together with the muscles of respiration, then you're bringing your fingertips together into what we call a sphere of tension, where we squeeze every fingertip that to the blind eye just looks like we're doing some kind of cool dome with our hands, but we're actually using that connection of every fingertip to engage as many muscles as we can that connect. So if I always think of Braveheart, when they put them on the on the, on the, the horses on every limb and they stretch them out. And, and essentially dislocate everything. But I remember watching that. Oh, man, look at him fighting back. They just dislocated everything, if not almost ripping everything out of his body. But where I'm going with that is when we make that sphere of tension and squeeze every fingertip and you learn how to integrate these muscles that essentially would keep the arms from getting ripped out of the sockets until they just gave the horse a little bit more of a slap in the butt. But now you're challenging those muscles to connect to the system, the legs coordinating, connecting. We have all these isometric contractions going on while you're learning to incorporate and integrate. And then you're using everything pulling towards center with the breath pushing away. You're teaching your body to work as one efficient system as you now realign the way your body is carrying itself. Coordinate and connect your body's ability to disperse force amongst all those muscles, to breathe better to move better, to have better nerve communication so we make better decisions. You think a little bit clearer. Your stress levels go down because make no mistake, if you're doing that work right, it's fucking hard. 
And it's like an ice bath. You're not doing it right if you're not holding a position and hitting a point where you're like, how much longer are we going to be here? And that's all I dose those younger firemen with that are kind of like, whoa, cool yoga, bro. But I hit them with it and we stay there a little bit longer. And suddenly there's a little bit of a shake and a little bit of like a wide eye looking around. And then I'm going five more inhalations. Your body is being challenged. There's a dump of adrenaline. You're breathing through it. You're calming the system to your best ability and you come out of it and it's just like, holy shit, just like coming out of the ice bath. And not only did you meet that moment and breathe through it, but you also gave the deep wiring of the brain a little bit of a reminder that, hey, we're okay going through these fundamental human ranges of motion. There's no threat. You don't have to fire a pain signal every time I I go to pick something up off the ground. And a doc that got on the wagon with us when we went to London and we wanted to work with Prince Harry back in the day. Um, we had these calls where he talked about the locus coryllus of the brain and neural tags. Now all that stuff goes over my head, but what I took away fireman Jesse deducted down was after having an injury, you can sometimes have the brain go, Oh fuck threat. And we'll lock you up to protect you when there's nothing wrong but last time you got hurt doing that so part of everything in healing an injury strengthening the injury is also training the nervous system the brain to stop recognizing looking at everything as a threat and so every time you do foundation training you're strengthening you're teaching the body to move from the hips to use the back side of the body the posterior chain as the primary movers and that we Hinge from the hips, that when we go to use the upper limbs, the shoulders, we're leveraging the lats and our postures lined and, and primed so that the muscle in position to optimally engage and support. And the frame, the joints are along for the ride. And, you know, get your body out of that. Every time I do something, I'm under threat rather than going like, oh, no, we're good. The nerves, oh, we're good. We can communicate. We can flow. And... You know, 10 minutes a day, make it a warm up. Use this before you train. Use it after training, after jujitsu. That's where I see the biggest benefit for people is do your warm ups, do a little bit before, do a little bit after, but realign your posture and position when you're done. Um, you know, I've just seen what it does for people with deemed some of the horrific back stuff. And I've seen what it does for the elite level. I mean, look, I'm going to say it. I feel I was insane talent, but I got to be in the corner and guide the world's youngest Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion at ADCC, all of his training and not his jiu-jitsu. Let's be clear, but his strength and performance, that was all me. And, um, you know, it, I just say for everybody out there, give it a shot and see what it does for you. And push it on someone you love because this can be a difference of them getting control of their health. And I believe from a mental standpoint, it can be your meditation if you're like, I can't meditate. Get lost in your body for a little bit. You might, might you'll hate me in the moment, but when you're done, you're going to see, oh, that's what he was talking about. Well, going on the, the, the scarring, the fear after an injury. I mean, I was out, out. Like when I hurt my back. And I was, you know, again, on paper doing all the right things. I was doing yoga, Rodney Yee's DVDs, and I was doing, you know, CrossFit. But at the time, what I would 
Dean was as close to the right form as I could, you know, muster at that point. Wasn't really known for my ego. Wasn't, you know, don't care about if I was first and all that bullshit. But anyway, it got to the point where I couldn't pick up my son. I couldn't put on my shoes. I mean, it was it was a nasty injury that I thought was going to be career ending. And then I've talked about this, I think, in our first conversation. So, you know, did Cairo, did P- Cairo out of my own pocket, PT through Workman's Comp, refused their meds, refused any words about surgery. But the, the progress was still very, very slow. And then my Cairo actually turned me on to FT and then incredible. But the real takeaway wasn't like, oh, and I got back to work. It was, we have a thing we do every year called the 343 Hero Challenge, an amazing you know brotherhood and sisterhood um it's a fundraiser it's a firefighter theme to honor the people that we lost in uh world trade a firefighter specifically but the very first event back six months after i had this catastrophic injury was 225 deadlifts with a with a burpee each time and that was the beautiful thing is yes there was a tiny bit but i'd incrementally work my way up and my body had been like oh okay it's like the uh you know the jack you click it up another notch all right, I think we're good. We think we're good. So it didn't just allow me to go, oh, I'm back to work, but I got to be careful if we have a heavy patient. It was like, no, I'm back to work and I'm better than I was before because I figured out what was broken prior to me getting hurt and I fixed it. And then I incrementally tested it to make sure I was healed to that point. And I don't try and pull 400 or anything like that anymore, but I can still rep out 225 at 48. Now, am I going to win the CrossFit Games? No. But is that good enough for me? Better do 21 without putting the bar down? Absolutely. That means this shit works. So, but the, the barrier to getting back to performing sometimes is that mental piece. And I found that foundation training you're adding your body weight to the length of these postures and it, it it does it reprograms and it just tells you look you're good you know don't jump in and try and do something you've never done before but start off slowly and you will see and i and that's what i love i'll always do a founder before i deadlift you know to prime all those muscles before i use the very muscles i'm going to use yeah yeah that it it's um the primer it, it's amazing i'm I'm now a, a gorilla lifter before I deadlift. Um, and, you know, I say it time and again and and finding which one works for you, but you can look it up now. Tensing the muscles before you load them is going to give you a better lift. You're, you're integrating, you're getting them contracting, you're firing them up. And so I, I, whenever I'm going under the bar, it's like, okay, I really want to maximize this. And quite frankly, I don't want to fuck myself up. So I gorilla lift it and I get my sphere going and I just crank up that tension and the lift always feels better. Um, it sets the pattern and yeah, it's like, it, it's pretty wild. And, and I've gotten even into now, uh, I've really gotten into the blood flow restriction bands and doing a lot of foundation training with those on. That's another hack I say for everybody is like, especially the testosterone aspect, utilizing blood flow restriction bands, um, being calculated but using them with foundation training, it's like you really want to get bang for your buck in 15, 20 minutes, strap those on, do a 12-minute workout, finish with a squat ladder, a push-up ladder, and you know some pull-ups or TRX row, and you just got an insane full-body strength workout. You're going to get the brain tricked so that you're dumping more testosterone, more human growth hormone. Um, I experimented that when I was on the road with um, – with uh the queen of pop and 
I didn't have a gym. And so I started doing it and I actually wound up putting on muscle mass and size just using BFR and foundation training with that squat ladder and push-up ladder is pretty, pretty trippy. So I, I say for everybody is um, find what works for you. I love that. And some kettlebells. Uh, but I still, I want a deadlift day. I want at the minimum, I want to have a deadlift day and an overhead press day. Um, ideally once a week. And I generally keep those in that, uh, you know, up to a heavy set of five with the, with the, with the barbell up to a heavy set of five with the overhead press. Um, and then I might, you know, drop to a percentage and go for a couple sets of eight, but, um, I want the hormonal stimulus. I want the reassurance from my body. Um, not only picking something heavy up, but also, um, you know, being able to put something heavy over my head and be stable under there when I'm extended in my full extension, which as they always told me at the firehouse, isn't a whole lot, but, um, you know, finding stability under load, I think is really, really important. And so getting those and sometimes it's just a, you know, front rack, step back lunges loading up, or, um, I'll go into front squats or back squats, but, those big lifts once, twice a week, I think are money, especially if you combine them with foundation training. That's why on the app, I put together the strength-based program. So if you're on the app, you know, for 50 cents a day, basically, which is $15 a month, um, you can learn foundation training. Then you can flow foundation training into fundamental lifts and, you know, make sure you're kind of hitting all the details along the way. So I try to, I try to keep things really simple. So I had a guest on talking about BFR, Jim Gunderson, but I have another guest coming on, a Navy SEAL, where he's part of, and I wish I could remember the Japanese gentleman's name that, that was the father. Atsu. Yes. So he's part of that organization. So I'm going to get a different perspective from them. So Is he in Florida? I think he is. Yes. He's at St. Pete, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I heard of him. And um, yeah, I the, the bands I use are Katsu. Um and what I say for everybody is I love them because they are, they're kind of dummy proof, you know, they can do a cycle mode. And so, you know, they tighten up for 30 seconds. They let go for 10, they tighten up for 30, they let go for 10 simple. I use them with a lot of athletes. Um, I, yeah, they're super simple. What I will say, my caveat, get the warranties because I, they, they are fragile. So that's my one caveat for them. But I'm looking forward to you chatting with him because I want to hear all that he has to say about it. It's it's That stuff's gnarly. Well, I'll ask him about that. John Doolittle is his name. So I'm interviewing him tomorrow. So I'll definitely put that to nice. him because I play with it. They uh, Actually, a friend of mine, Z, Miguel Zeran, Zihan Zeran, Zeran um, who was a Marine recon. Yeah, recon Marine. Um and uh, he sent me his own personal pair. So I did, I would do a CrossFit workout and then I would just do some of the jumping squats at the end. And yeah. people were like, bloody hell, is James having a stroke in the corner there? It was it was amazing. But when you think again of the wear and tear on our body, especially when we're older, that you can get the same physiological response and a global um, healing response too, but with a fraction of the weight. Not, I mean, it's great for everyone, but especially if you think about, you know, post-injury or an older athlete that maybe doesn't want to get under a bar of, you know, 200 pounds anymore. And it can do the same thing with 50 and some BFR bands. Yeah, that was that was my thing with it is, um, one, I watch most people use them and 
I'm just like, man, he, he could do it so much better. Not that I know the best way, but it's very isolation based. It's very break the body. Okay, bicep curls with them on, tricep extensions. And I'm going, no, put those things on and do push-up ladders, do pull-up ladders, do TRX. Don't cinch them down as tight, but like go, you know, teach your body to work as a system. But what I love with them, because I was, I was straight up when my buddy shared, uh, we were in lockdown together, another trainer, and he had them. And I was just kind of like, ah, that's cool. I got to hold some kettlebells. Great. And then one day he's like, let me put you through a workout. And then I was just, wow. And then I went down the rabbit hole and I started reading and researching. And the fact that they were initially being used in physical therapy and that when someone had a cast on and they would do BFR on their body and other areas, they didn't have the same atrophy in the leg anymore because the body was not it, the body still everything, everything's going out everywhere. So there was no atrophy in the leg. And I, you know, I'm working with a lot of people with injuries and it's been my ace in the hole for people that are okay. We're feeling good. We're getting stronger. Boom. We slap it on. And now we're doing, you know, BFR with foundation training and we'll get into some functional movement stuff. And I, then it brought me into now a new one I've been testing more for the performance athlete, quite frankly, with, with Ty and Cade Rotolo for ADCC was capitalizing on their strength gains going into the tournament. And I'll tell people straight up, there's a lot of things I've always said I would do or this or that. When you're trying to balance someone and, I'll, and, and correlate it to the guy that's not sleeping, going hard, when you're in charge of two 19-year-olds training programs and their jujitsu training is two hours long. It's extremely intense. Like they're leaving there like, oh, tweaking all over the place. And then I've got to figure out coordinating, strengthening them, loading them, prepping them. One's going to be fighting we knew in the in the ultimate or in the in the um, you know, no weight limit category. So I'm trying to get him bigger and stronger. Um the BFR was huge, but then I got onto uh, the ISO chain and then I started really studying isometric training and that's a device. You can get it through dragon door. I'm still figuring out where I stand on it. Um, I, I, so what I, what I looked at with them was like, Oh, cool. Realizing foundation training. The reason we can do so much of it so often is there's it's basically a heavy isometric component. Take away all of the medical benefits and i say that because for everybody to recognize that foundation training like bfr was that's that's pain relief that is healing that is for chronic pain first but then it got a hold but got taken by peter park and other coaches like myself and went holy shit there's this whole other aspect for performance but when you look at it we're doing a lot of isometric training isometric training you're integrating more and more muscle fibers and making yourself stronger and stronger and stronger. I just look at that as like, okay, more muscle means I am stronger. I think it was Pavel who said there's two ways to get stronger, make a muscle bigger, teach it to contract harder. And so that's where I look at when we're doing foundation training. But then I went, cool. This ISO chain thing, which is what Bruce Lee, they show all these old guys they used to do. Think of put an eye bolt into the ground, attach a chain to it, weld a bar that you can yank and have different levels. And essentially what they get into is that 
you can hit the three phases of a deadlift, the initial pull just below the knee, top, you know, almost lockout and lock in and do an isometric contract. You basically try to pull and you're not going to move anything. You're putting your body in this heavy isometric. There's little to no movement of the joints. So the joints have time to let the inflammation go down. Well, all the muscles are contracting. So the muscles and the ligaments around the joints are getting stronger. So think of that with foundation training, very little movement. You're strengthening all the muscles and all the connective tissue with the joints being allowed time to allow the inflammation to go down. You're essentially improving all these areas of the body and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. With the brothers, I just went, oh shit, we might be able to use this and be still hitting intense deadlift strength close to the tournament and it's not going to impact recovery. Oh, it's not going to impact recovery, you know, and all the other stuff. So I'm always looking at how do I get more out of their bodies? How do I get juice from the squeeze? Billy Kemper got racked in a, a big wave world champion, got racked recently surfing for um, a, a what's called the Dahui shootout. And um, two, grade two tear, shot to Cali. They did some radical stuff with stem cells and PRP and uh, all this stuff to, to address it. He flew back. I was communicating with his doctors and essentially started, you know, my responsibilities to see if I can get him ready in two weeks to compete in another big contest slash there's a huge swell coming that he wants to surf in one of the biggest premier big wave spots off of Maui. So we made a plan foundation training every day, pretty much with BFR on that. We were using the ISO chain, a handful of other things going off, communicating with the doctors, their guidance. And he was ready to rock and roll. We had the knee brace off and, and, um, yeah, he was he was able to compete in all of it. He competed in the eddy that was that just went on, which is insane waves. And uh, if you're not a surfer, I recommend look up um, the eddy on the north shore of Oahu that just went down, and you will see some insane athletes and insane surfing going on. And just to throw a shout out, Coach Kahea Hart, who is pretty much the reason Foundation Training got inserted into the surf world, especially on the north shore of Oahu. He's the reason I'm here. Uh, he just competed in in uh, in the Eddie, and he's 50 years old, you know, and he does foundation training every day. Um, you know, he's surfing at a very high level, and we do a lot of training together, and he's molding a lot of the next generation. So anybody out there with parent – or sorry, any parents with little ones, his biggest thing he's combating when they come in here is the way they're moving, their posture, the way they've adapted to a lot of the little kids that are doing jujitsu all the time. They can't hinge at their hips. And so he's like, okay, everything starts with posture, position, fundamental foundation training, you know, and then he progresses them through his methods towards other tools to bring out, you know, the next generation of elite level in surfing. So it's really cool. And for me to go and be a fly on the wall and watch what we're encountering with the young ones, I'm like, we really got a thing on our hands here. So parents, you know, this should be like brushing the teeth, you know, looking at your kids and, and having them do this stuff. Because it's not just their posture and their position, but it's their breathing. It's everything I talked about earlier. Well, speaking of someone who's got that holistic mind already, you work with Hicks and Gracie, um, you and Eric. So talk to me about how that meeting happened. And again, you have this guy who has been exposed to so much. There's videos of him breathing and his diaphragm is stuck to his spine. Um, you know, world champion in, in the jiu-jitsu side and the MMA side. So walk me through that experience. I want to start by saying anybody that knows Hickson and, they, and they've seen choke, 
They know the breathing. Like that's what he's known for is that scene. Um, one of the takeaways he said, and, I, and I'm just like, man, that's, that is like the biggest holy shit moment after leaving the fire service. I say for everybody out there that is in that position, I couldn't have in a million years imagined I'd be doing, being given the opportunity to help someone like Hicks and Gracie, but it helped him significantly. Uh, but what I want to say is these guys showed me a way of breathing that I've never known. That's what he said. So that right there, huh. but how it started. There's another gentleman that came through the foundation certification. His name's Jackson Fortunato. He runs a, a Gracie university gym in Texas. And that's a whole amazing story in itself, but he had a back injury and um, he had a back injury and he found foundation training. He fought it when a friend put him onto it. And finally he tried it and it was, too, it seemed too simple, but it made a shift in three days. The back pain that had him sidelined and he was struggling to teach jujitsu, couldn't do anything. Suddenly he was out of pain and they wanted to do surgery. You know, you've got herniations, all that, all that mumbo jumbo. So he, he had gone, he actually, as a black belt under another school, decided to go and start the whole process to become a Gracie University, open a Gracie Academy, because he realized that there was a better way. And he got involved with them, was going through the process, became close with Hiron and Henner Gracie, who are in Torrance, which is right around the corner from Hickson. And um, so Jackson became an instructor, one of our foundation training instructors. And he started talking about it with Hiron and Henner and sharing with anybody willing to listen as he's becoming a, a certified Gracie affiliate. And then he heard Hickson on Joe Rogan the last time when his book came out. And he talked about the state of his back. And, you know, if you listen to that, and I encourage people to listen to it, because if you're in pain, this is going to give you, I believe, a beacon of hope. Because he basically says, I'm meditating and accepting the, the, the situation I'm in. It's not ideal, but this is where I'm at. You know, it's the life I've lived. And basically, that was it. Jackson heard it, contacted me. He was like, we got to help him. I'm going to, we got to find a way to help him. And I said, if you can get us in touch, I will hop a flight and I will, I will be there tomorrow. So he talks to hit on, he plants a seed hit on talks to his uncle. And, uh, next thing you know, Hickson's open to checking it out. Uh, there's a phone call with Hickson, Dr. Goodman and Jackson and then basically Eric is like, hey, you're green lit, man. Um, Hickson called me and I I just confirmed that, you know, hey, if I come over, you know, you have the time. What I'm thinking is, we, you know, we do a morning afternoon for a week and see how your body responds. Okay, show up. He's, you know, I, I literally hopped the flight that, 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 that night. Hopped the flight, um, got to California. That's where I keep my van. I think last time when we did a podcast, I was living in my van in Cali. I think so. Responding to where the world took me. Uh, I keep my van there. I actually keep it at the Gracie Academy. Um, but uh, got to got to Hickson's place, and he was very polite, very welcoming, um, but just very, okay, thank you for coming. I'm honored to have you. Started taking him into stuff. And... It, in a scenario like that is it's very touch and go. I don't have Doc Goodman there. 
if I spin him out, if I make things worse, if I trigger fail on Jesse's part, I know I've lost him. It's very what I say now is this is this is my this is my house fire. This is my like fuck yeah, okay. But also it it it's a you know there's a lot riding on it in my mind. And so I go into it and we're easing him through stuff, checking in, checking in, checking in. Um, and it goes fine. We don't trigger any pain. Feels fine. Feels good. Shows up in the afternoon. Good to see you, my brother. Progress report. I was working on a project in the yard for my wife standing there. And he's like, and normally I have a really hard time standing in one place for a long period of time. And I did the breathing you told me to do. And the pain went away, which is nice. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Excellent. We do another session. The next day he shows up. Good to see you, my brother. Progress report. Last night I was walking my dog and normally I have to stop and I, I do these stretches that you told me not to do, which I was like, no, no, just, just give him a break. I didn't, uh, he goes, but I did the exercise you showed me and the pain went away, which was nice. Awesome. And we did another training session, came back, another progress report. Day three, I show up and, and I hate that he beat me there, but he was already there. And he's skateboarding in the parking lot. And I got up and I looked and I just started filming. And he, you know, I I showed, I said, how you feeling? He goes, I'm starting to understand. I'm starting to understand that this is something that's becoming a part of me. And it's something that I'm going to have to do a lot. But it's changing my life. And now all of a sudden, things were a little bit different. He's opening up and he said, he started to tell me, I've had a lot of people come through, a lot of experts that want to help. And what they do will last a short time and it goes away. Other experts, they spin me out and I'm set back now for six to eight weeks. You know, this guy's, you know, he's got high level people all around him, elite level, different guys. Oh, I got the guy. It wasn't a guy. And so- you know, those experiences, I could tell he was like, are you another snake oil salesman? And this was the okay. And by the end of that week, uh, you know, he was testing things and dropping and moving like I knew Hicks and Gracie in choke and doing his movement stuff and animal movements. And he's walking around coming actually, he's, you know, you know, teep kicking walls. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> and you know, it, it's, 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 um, it's exciting. It's raw. It's real time. And I'm also like, da, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Don't wait, wait, you know, but we went two weeks straight like this. And then, um, you know, I flew to Colorado to teach a course, came back and we had it now, um, Jackson came and, and did a couple days with us, Jackson Fortunato, who had made that initial connection and Jackson was very involved and helpful. You know, he's a certified instructor and he gave a lot of good pointers as another guy who had wanted to go, they wanted to operate on. And, you know, the thing I told Hickson is that I'm not changing anything about your spine because they wanted to do all sorts of radical fusions. And he had had, as he said, like I had the best 
the best of the best around me, basically saying like, this is just where you're at and you're going to have to deal with it. And they want to do fuse all sorts of stuff. And I told them, I said, I'm not changing anything, but what I'm doing is getting the muscles around your injuries to start to support and to strengthen and engage and, you know, do their job and absorb the force instead of you being on those injuries. And then Doc Goodman came in and we had some more holy shit aha moments that you can only have when Doc Goodman is involved. You know, he's, I mean, he's truly the Jedi. He he can't stand when people call him a, a guru. So I'll say he's truly um, a Jedi and he truly looks at people and, and as a guy who, that has a severe spine issue and has really endured what it means to be in horrific pain and you know, not accept a diagnosis, but rather go, I'm going to take everything I've ever learned and develop this system. I think there was a kindred bond between him and Hickson because they definitely had a relationship that I got a little jealous of. And I'm like, wait a minute. But <laughs> it's a beautiful thing because they they have an experience that I can't relate to. And, um, you know, Doc really, really does operate on a level that when he's applying this work that it's like, Holy shit, I sit back and I watch, you know, because I'm always learning. And, um, you know, the thing is, he's such a, an awesome teacher and he's humble and he genuinely wants to see this help the world. You know, you know, James, you've, you've done enough with him. He, he generally cares about helping. And um, if he could give it away for free, he said this a million times, he would. But I'm like, no, we got lives to support. So <laughs> anyways... Uh, Hickson made an amazing testimonial. Anybody can listen to it. Um, you can go to my Instagram. It's in my link tree. Um, but, uh, he gave us an insane testimonial and then he basically kind of said like, you know what? I've got what I want at this point and I'm going to work on it from here. And I sometimes watch and I'm like, man, I, I, I want to clean this up and I'll message him once in a while. Like, Hey, I'm in Cali, you know, let me fine tune you. He's like, Thank you, my brother. I'm got things going on. So, okay. I see him doing jujitsu. I see him pushing. And I go, he's where he wants to be with it. I'm honored to have gotten to help him. I've got the testimonial. I'm going to keep using it until he tells me to stop. Brilliant. Amazing. Yeah, well, so you had the um, Rotulo brothers. You had Hickson. One of the most uh, charismatic people that I want to get on the show one day as well is Bernardo Faria. So talk to me about that. So it's um, BJJ Fanatics, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, he's awesome. He's huge. That's a big dude. I mean, again, I because we got a lot of first responders. Yes, I know. I'm short. I'm 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, they used to measure me at the firehouse. But he's huge. Um, really awesome dude. And I, I wound up at BJJ Fanatics because, as he said, the Rotolo brothers came out to film after ADCC. And he's like – Every other word out of their mouths was foundation training and Jesse. And you got to get him over here. You got to do work with them. And so I went and um, I filmed an introduction to foundation training, um, heavily based on what I was doing with the brothers to build for ADCC. Um, and it was an awesome experience. You know, the guy genuinely was curious, um, took him through some stuff. He, he just hit me with, I've got this going on. What do you think? Okay. Um, and so I put him into some stuff and it was cool because in the moment he's like, show me that this stuff's as good as everyone's telling me. And he came, he's like, 
oh wow but what i what i thought was really cool with him was when i explained to him the why of what we were doing he that's what really fascinated him. he felt like oh my god like there's so much going on this is a challenge there's clearly a learning component but i feel what you're saying and as you're explaining it i it, it i can really wrap my head around what was just going on in my body so you know, it was a cool, it was, it was, um, we did a couple of zooms together. Um, you know, cause I, I just was like, Hey, let me show you before you have me come out. I want to make sure that you understand what this is before you have me come film for you guys and make a project that you're going to sell. You know, it's really important to me that when people are put on from others that they, they at least have a baseline before they just go, yeah, come do something for us, make a project. It's like, well, I want you to make sure you're onto this. And um, yeah, it was really cool. It was a good experience. Um, people have asked me, do I buy that or do I get on your streaming? And I, I say again, in the long run, you're going to get so much more from streaming. We have a combat section now on the app. Um, it's not built out as much as I would like it to be. But I say for everybody in jujitsu uh, or any combat athlete or human as a whole, go on the app, start doing the baseline program. Start learning the fundamentals. Um, give yourself two to three weeks in each phase of baseline. Incorporate workouts from other arenas that you want to feel. You, We have a team of instructors on there. Try other workouts, but recognize that it becomes a ritual if you want results. It becomes your warm-up and your cool-down, your morning meditation, your go-to-bed routine, your midday movement snack, whatever you need to label it. But it's not going to work if you don't do the work. Otherwise, if, if you're like, I don't want to do shit, then then I say, take your pills. Look for the silver bullet. It doesn't exist. Sadly, I wish it did. No, I don't. Because there's something to be said for doing the hard work. I immediately took that back. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a reward for doing the work. And we all know that. And that's what I say is um, the end of the day is like that reward of putting in the time, that reward of looking in the mirror and being like, yeah, I fucking showed up again. Yeah, I did it. Chop wood, carry water. I did it again and again and again. As Jocko Willing always says, getting under the bars. There's, it's, it's, that's why I'm here, to pick the weight up and put it back down. I'll do it again tomorrow. You know, and subconsciously and mental health, I believe, like, we've got to be challenged. So, you know, put yourself in the ringer. Put yourself in something that makes you go, oh, shit. Foundation training is just the best way I can think of to not – Screw yourself up in the process and give yourself an elixir. You know, to me, it's a, a fountain of you. That's all I'll leave it as. Watching Hickson, there's a moment in Lord of the Rings. I'm a movie guy. I'm a dork. But we need those archetypes to Joseph Campbell, That those archetypes. And I love those movies for it. But there's a moment in the movie where the guy comes is released from the spell where the evil king's got him under, right? And you watch him go from this decayed, crusty, zombie body, and his youth comes back to him. And you watch him age in reverse. And that's what I, that's all I could think of with Hickson. And that's what I think of with the work is that it allows you to get back this youthfulness. You, you spring load your body again, you water it, and you, you rough up the soil so that you're ready to really grow and do something profound as we get older. And, and, you know, turn the soil over. It's not done. 40, 50, 60, 70. It ain't done. I couldn't agree more. And that's the thing I'm doing. Like I said, my focus is on 
addressing the imbalances, the inflexibility, the in, you know, the injuries are injuries, and just with you know, as you were talking about, I still, I'm sure if you MRI my back, have the bulges and everything, but the strength around it is, you know, opened up all the, the spaces for the nerves. And I haven't had pain in years and years. And it's funny, I'm going to be on a, on a plane for basically 10 days. And I used to get sciatica after about an hour and a half. This is post, you know, healing, but by continuing to do it, you know, it's given me that posture and even the seated founder. Just kind of riding your shoulder blades up to where you're, again, trying to align that spine and take those uh, decompression breaths. It's been incredible. Um, I want to hit one more topic, and I'll start with one of the closing questions. I normally ask books that are recommended, but you, we, we discussed a specific book you're reading at the moment prior to recording, so I'm going to pull that conversation back in. So you mentioned The Nature Fix. Tell me about that book and why you're so passionate about that kind of whole philosophy. I'm passionate about it because it's an underlining part of something I'm working on um, over here. But I'm passionate about it as as I get into it is what I've really looked at as I deduct from everybody I listen to on different podcasts and wellness and everything else. And it seems like everything, you know, with the breath work, with the movement work, with the ice baths, the, the temperature shifting, ice and sauna, with the mental health aspects of nature. And when you start to really look at all of them, it's like the further from nature we're getting, the more it's hurting us. And the movement, you know, our our posture and breathing, you know, a hundred years ago, we wouldn't need a foundation training because we're outdoors and moving and then being demanded by nature to do everything, spring, crawl, climb, jump, squat, hang from trees, we were always exposed to cold and hot. There was never AC. And so you were having these ups and downs and your body had to regulate and you were child. Maybe sometimes you're in the cold and without thought, we would go into these rhythmic breathings to heat the body up. Mentally, you're in nature and to go into the book, they get onto the idea around when we're in nature, there's a, there's a, a lot of research showing that mentally we're happier mentally we improve and that there's a a real tie and so what they what she hits on in there and and everything is kind of like she's traveling around the world and she's looking at these different parts like japan and korea are the big ones where they've created these research areas around really looking at the effects that nature's having on mental health and physical health and they're showing pretty profound stuff and what I got into with Nature's Fix that, that I brought up with you, especially as we are seeing this increase in suicide um, with first responders and people as a whole, is um, they, and I actually read it this morning, is that, that I didn't know Korea is one of the highest rates of suicide. And so they're they're creating these kind of like, guess what I can explain is almost like theme parks centered around nature, but in a medical aspect for the citizens to go and be in nature. Cause they're looking at that. Once you're out there and exposed for a little while, the brain almost gets to quiet and calm down. We don't have the emails, the text, all the different stuff going on. And as that settles in, then these other processes in the brain are allowed to function and everything gets to chill out. And it actually shows improvements when they're, I mean, they're literally testing 
blood pressures and, you know, oxygen saturations and cortisol, all this crazy stuff when they come off the trails. And so to me, it's pretty interesting to see that, read it there, and then read Stephen Kotler's book on the art of impossible and stealing fire, where he gets into how they utilize surfing and they're, they're seeing profound effects with PTSD and surfing. And when you start to look into it, it's like, is it the nature? Is it the surfing? Is it the, you know, what, what is it? What is it about that? And I, you know, I, I told you earlier is uh, I always wondered. I never thought about it much until reading these books and looking back because I think about the job and I think about a lot of the calls and, you know, I know I had things I had to work through and still work through, but it's never been something that's ever from that job ever had me in any kind of situation thinking about taking my own life or really in a way like being in a position where it's just so hard to bear. And I go, okay, well, what can you learn from your experience that you would have said to young Jesse, do these things or another firefighter? Hey, think about this stuff. And the only thing I can take away was I'd get off shift and it was like, okay, I'm going to go do something outside. I'm going to go mountain biking or I'm going to go surfing or I'm going to go rock climbing with the guys or we're going to go. And it was just linking up and going to go do something outdoors and, and having outlets and then realizing that, oh, two to three times a year, I was going on surf trips and I was leaving the job, always a minimum of 10 to 12 days and doing nothing but hanging out and surfing and being in nature and hitting a point where couldn't wait to get back to be on the truck. Couldn't all oh, start thinking about mm, that siren though, riding in the back. What are, you know, the unknowns, what have I missed? Did I miss anything good? And, you know, so just kind of that whole thing of do those truly provide a reset and then kind of like looking at all and going, Hey, maybe there's something to the idea of more camping trips, more hiking trips, more not going home and shutting in and playing video games. Like God, that, and that's one of the things that came up in the book is they're looking at the effect of video games and in Korea and Japan where there's real addiction issues to the video games there's real mental health issues. You know, the the suicide rates in Korea, um, it's 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 shocking. And so I think that they're really awesome. That's why I was more playing the seed for you of, hey, read those books and let me know what you kind of come up with here. Because um, it's, you know, all I can go with is is a gut feeling as I read them and, and going, okay, yeah, there's, there's something to be shared for everybody. Well, I, I mean, I can give you numerous guests that will underline that. Um, there's an English group who there are police officers down in the southwest, I think it is. I think it was Cornwall. Um, and they offer surfing for first responders. And, you know, they take them out. Now, this is the UK. So the water's cold. The air's cold. The sand's cold. Everything's fucking cold. But, you know, you're outside. <laughs> you're in the water. But then it's a good thing because you have that. And few people have told me this. When you're in the water, there's that kind of compressing element, almost like a, a weighted blanket. You have the cold water, especially in the UK. But the, I think the one that will still stick with me is Tom Hewitt, who is English, but he ended up... Um, creating a nonprofit called Surfers Not Street Children. And in that part of South Africa where he is, a lot of these kids are right on the coast, but 
you know, they can't swim. There's a lot of, you know, folklore about these monsters in the ocean. A lot of these kids are, are orphans because of the AIDS crisis and the violence and some of these other things. So they take these kids, they teach them how to swim first, obviously. Then they teach them how to surf. But they're they're in, in that particular place. They're in the sun. You know, they're in the, the warm water. They're having this physical exertion again. And then after all that, this group will sit on the sand and they'll basically do an impromptu counseling session so and then to add another layer i just went to st augustine this last weekend and i went a couple of weeks ago and there's a beach just south of there called crescent beach i put my phone in the car and for the first time my, my darling german shopper shepherd that i lost a few months ago she wasn't a big fan of the water and i'd always dreamed of taking her to the beach but it's like almost two hours away um and so i never got there so i was like fuck it i'm taking my dog now ember and so I took her, and this one's a lunatic. She loves the water. And just two tennis balls and one of those chucker things and probably walked, I don't know, like two miles in one direction, running her up and down, getting in and out of the water and then back. I can't explain the reconnection. I've always loved that beach, but to do that and then walk and then be in and out of the water and then watching her loving it so much, it was probably the most healing thing I've done in a long time. So, and then we talked earlier about barefoot as well. Like I, my first thing is, is I'll get up in the morning, I'll stand and look at the, the rising sun and I'll get my feet on the wet grass outside. So there's no question in my mind why if we're seeing physical and, and mental decay as we industrialize our living space, our working space, then why would the opposite also not be the case? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's for one, man, that was, that's a beautiful scenario at the dog. And I just going like, man, that's, that's the one you come off shift. That's the one, you know, and, and you made me think of that meme you see out there floating around where the guy's like touches somebody, he turns a little bit black. He touches another person, he turns a little bit blacker. And then he comes home to the dog and jumps on him. And it's so relatable. And I mean, you know, not that I've ever fought back tears watching that, but it's relatable and you don't realize how much you're caring until it boils over. And so that alone, getting having a dog, having that that purpose to go walk and to be outdoors is, is so important. Um, but, I, you know, I think too, James, is getting a tribe outside the fire service, you know, jujitsu. Not initially, like the fire service, you got to be around for a minute, but you develop a tribe. Surfing, you develop a tribe in, in all of them, but you you become a part of something else that, you know, you. I think it's important to identify with. It doesn't always have to serve a purpose, but I look at it and I, I think of a lot of um, also for everybody is just getting into reading Joseph Campbell's work because those archetypes are there for a reason. And when you read that book, it also is going to help better understand and help you better process a lot of what what we're going through and why those myths are so important for us to you know find meaning and purpose in all of it because otherwise you know as he said life's meaningless but we give it meaning and so if you're feeling like there's no meaning okay like start looking at what you can do to make it meaningful you know and and i know easier said than done but um i think there's uh you know i think there's so many great things out there and it just starts like you said get your feet on the grass and watch the sunrise and you know inspire breathe in inspiration and leave the phone 
Just start making the habit, leaving the phone. You know, like I'm going to be in this moment. I don't need to photo anything. I don't need to text anybody. And I, it doesn't have to be for like, go in and get your coffee somewhere and leave your phone. Have a conversation. Be curious to learn about somebody else that you know nothing about. Play that game and try to lift other people up. Make somebody else smile. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have a big profound shift on the way your day goes. And I think it's just realizing that you can have that control. I'll give you another tip. I just I had Samsungs for years and I swear to God, you know, that you have a two-year contract, like a year and a half, or you have a three-year contract, two and a half years, the thing starts playing up, the apps start freezing, the battery is suddenly shit. And again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but come on now. So I'm like, well, fuck it. This time I'm going to get another phone, but I'm not literate at all in the whole Apple thing. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get a Pixel. I've heard it's really good. The camera is a big thing for me. But it's still different enough where I'm like, I don't know how to use half this shit. It's been awesome. I haven't played with my phone because I'm not so comfortable with moving everything around that it's a, a reflex. It broke that cycle. So every yeah. if you find yourself addicted to your phone, get a fucking different phone. Get an Apple next time. You have no way of using the effort it takes to simply write a message or an email. You, you're going to be like, All right, that's enough. I can't surf yeah. on this thing. So if you truly are stuck and are very wealthy, there's another option for you. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll tell you what worked for me. Turn all the color off on your phone. Black and white, you will not want to be on there. It's crazy. So that's another one. And in the book, Nature Fix, they said um, Android users are on their phones. I want to say something like 21 minutes less a day than Apple phone users. And they're like kind of a reason maybe to marry an Android user. But they also talked about, I forget what the statistic was, but that kids are on devices. I want to say something like seven hours a day, not counting school time. And they gave statistics of how much less they're outdoors than we were and our our parents were. It's it's pretty wild. That book, I, I really recommend it for people. Brilliant. Well, that, like I said, addresses the book question. What about films and or documentaries that you love? You talked about um, the uh, Jerry Lopez documentary. Any others? Yeah. Jerry Lopez, amazing. What else have I watched? I really haven't watched that much stuff anymore man um a lot a lot more reading trying to think of documentaries heal i think that might be the last one i watched with joe dispenza um i listen to listen a lot of times if i'm gonna watch something i'll put like i'm cooking or getting ready to eat or do i'll put on impact theory and watch tom bilyeu uh talk with different people um that's more of it nowadays not that i'm not that i'm you know, like on a flight, I'll watch a movie or something, but I can't really think of anything profound or like that. I'm really going, oh man, that's one to, to take in. I'm sure it'll pop, something will pop in my head. Did you ever see the documentary, The Inspiration Factor? No. So it was, if I got the title right, I think I have. Um, I had the author on the show, Doug Orchard, um, Motivation Factor, that's why it sounded weird, The Motivation Factor. So it documents this incredible PE program that was put in certain schools in California around the 50s and 60s. And that this kind of uh, blueprint was taken from some Russian coaches that they've worked with prior. But when you look at all this uh, this footage, these, these seniors, any one of them could be a muscle and fitness cover model, but you know, the ones without the roids and bodybuilding, the actual athletes. Um, and uh, what the whole system was is they figured out, all right, what it, what 
does movement look like? What are these movements that will, you know, increase strength, mobility? I mean, all these elements. They put these men in this particular case, because this was the 50s, um, in groups. And it was almost like a belt system. I think there were four different colored shorts. And you as a unit trained until you were able to level up to the next level. The basic one, I forget what it was, but like the the top tier one was like seven pegboard ascents unbroken. There was a partner carry. I want to say it was three miles. I mean, these were, you know, crazy, but they had the two, the long, long parallel bars that went along, they went up, they went down, ah. and they would shuffle along. Um, and it was just all calisthenics, like you said, all body weight stuff, rope climbs. But this entire school was phenomenal. Now, with that spectrum, I'm sure you had the elite athlete and the okay kind of in shape. But the least fit person in this whole school was probably paramount to, you know, I would say the the top quartile of many kids today. And it was so sad because this got disbanded, you know, as, as you know, education, like uh, standardized testings became prioritized and arts and fitness and everything got deconstructed. But there was one school they featured that had kind of, you know, breathed some life back into this in a different school. And then Doug told me when we did their interview when COVID hit, they shut it down. They never put it back in place again. But with your entire background and wellness and, you know, the, the body weight simplicity, wisdom of the elders mentality, I think you'd be amazed. But no one I know in our space, in the strength and conditioning world, has ever heard of this documentaries. And that is a travesty. As if we simply use the blueprint that they had, we would revolutionize the health crisis in our children. I believe it. I'm going to have to check it out, man. It sounds fascinating. That, I, I swear he speaks to that at the start of um, Natural Born Heroes in McDougal's book. But I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And I'm, now I got to check it out because that sounds like a really – like that, great. I'll watch that one for sure. That's actually a goal of mine down the road is to, to eventually create something here in Hawaii that is going to be a place that – foundation training instructors can come and like mentor and like dive deeper that doc can come in and out of, you know, anytime he wants throughout the year, but also is like for people out there that are wanting to really get into the work or have a, a place to come retreat to and, and be in a, a spot that is catering to all that stuff. Um, that's my goal for my, in two to five years from now is have a, a spot on, on a, where I live, that's basically a center of movement, if you will. And having some real obstacle courses like that for myself and for other people, Ben Greenfield had one at his house and I was just, bro, he's pretty much got the Navy seal obstacle course for him and his boys. And just, dude, you're cool. <laughs> you're <laughs> cool, man. I, I love it. So the next question I have for you, is there a person that you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? I, I really believe you would get a lot out of having Evan Halquist on here. Um, you know, he's, he's big time with us as far as uh, a teacher, but <clears throat> he's a hell of a strength coach. He's really overseen a lot of stuff with the LA County recruit programs and wellness programs. Um, the guy is, is really a testament to somebody who's endured a back injury, 
has a extensive knowledge now in strength and conditioning, foundation training, but also does silent meditation retreats, um, is raising two boys and, you know, um, just an all around guy that when I look at him, I'm going, man, I got to step it up. This guy is dialed, um, meditates heavily, breath practices. He's got a level of discipline that um, I envy. I I truly envy it. And I just think that uh, he's got so much to offer the first responder community. Um, And he's a guy that's that, he's a game changer. Like he'll, he'll change the game and he's working towards it. Um, He's gotten some stuff in firehouse magazine based around foundation training and what he's done over there, LA County fire. Um, And so I I think he'd be a great asset, especially because the way he's incorporating foundation training with the kettlebells and beyond over there is, is awesome. So I think he'd be a great one. Um, I don't know if you ever got, um, if you've ever had any, I, I don't know. I don't know where they fit in for the sur- for the the fire first responder communities, but some of the big wave surfers and the mentality around them and what they do. Like, I think Jamie Mitchell could be a cool athlete for everybody because he's not just a big wave surfer and the the mental headspace around that. He's a dad. He's a ten you know multi. I want to say ten times or more um, Molokai world champion, which is an insane paddle race. Like lay on the board paddling across the ocean. Um, you know, and he's just, he's a impressive human. So I think he could be a really cool one for, uh, everybody to learn something from mental, mental headspace, you know? Beautiful. Let's try and make both those happen. Obviously I know Evan, but, um, that is someone that I, you know, just haven't actually got on the show yet, even though we've chatted before. Is he, or are you going to be at the, um, Florida cert? And if so, when is that? Yeah, we'll both be at the Florida cert. Um, it's going to be June, I want to say 24, 25. It's, so the way the cert works now, and this in any way that's curious of, you know, learning this, whether it's for your own knowledge or one to, the, the desire to help other people, um, can't recommend it enough if you're leaving the fire service because, you know, it's, um, you get to help people again, but in a different way and um, you get your sleep. But the certification now is, a six week online learning process. And each week you've got online modules that you're going through. There's a once a week class that you have to attend on zoom with your teacher and your group. You know, you broke it into little squads. And then at the end of six weeks, you show up for the two day in-person portion. That's where you get to train with me, Dr. Goodman and our whole teaching team in person. And once that's over, then you start the process of getting your hours and then you do your test out. So through COVID, we really raised the standard on what it means to be a foundation training instructor. All of these certified instructors went through continuing education to bring themselves up to that level. They were all given the program to go through, complete, and uh, make sure it was at the same level. But we wanted to set a standard so that when people look for a foundation training instructor, um, that these people really had a fundamental understanding of what and why and how they're teaching that they're trained to look through the lens that we do so that they can notice and see the patterns on how someone's moving that can lead to pain and then apply the method to help them optimize and heal and live in a way that they are redefining a pain free, a pain free life. So I can't stress enough out there. If you're like, what do I do next? Or 
I don't, I'm kind of burnt out on this fire department thing and you want to help people check it out. There's, um, I used to say it when people are like, oh, I want to become a strength coach. Cool. Well, when you want to make money, there's no shortage of people looking for help with injuries, you know? And so I know sometimes people just associate like, ah, the money aspect. If you get good at it, people will pay you for your skills. Well, speaking of that, I need to catch up on my CEs before I see you in June then. I'm behind. I'm probably the least qualified instructor you have. <laughs> ah, you got time in the field, brother. <laughs> All right. Well, then the last question should be interesting for you because we've touched on some of the things. But before we talk about where to find you, what do you do to decompress? Man, decompress. I When, when it's really hitting me, I'll go into three, four rounds of Wim Hof breathing. And then I'll generally go into um, a Joe Dispenza meditation. And that's my, like, get the head right. I, I, I work to balance the body these days. I wake up and I'm playing with some different kind of breath work right now. Um, waking up and doing breath work, emptying the lungs completely, trying to really give the diaphragm a moment where it's no air in the lungs at all. And that's a little uncomfortable. Um, but playing with that stuff and then getting into fundamental movements and doing my morning foundation training. And I look to, I look to do the maintenance consistently so that my body, I don't start to feel the buildup of like uh, anxiousness. If I get that morning breath work in, I set my intentions, I get physical activity I have to get that. If I don't get that, that's when I start to really feel like just off or resentful or I don't want, you know, I, I, I can't sit still with somebody because my mind is like, ah, if I get that physical activity, it generally heads it off to the past. If I'm boiling over, it's been stressful or someone that I care about is in a hard spot and I'm feeling it. That's when I'm going to get into do some Wim Hof breathing, calm the system, do some, a dispense of meditation and, and then, um, you know, try to, Try to meditate on whatever it is that is bothering me. What is it? Why? You know, why are you going here? Why is this bugging you? What is it? You know, and and see what I can figure out. Beautiful. I've, I've used Headspace for years and it's funny because when I'm meditating, that one thing will ping. And then more often than not, it's like, oh, I'll just get that thing done. And then you get that thing done and then your head is like, okay, that was it. I know I was telling you, 12,000 other things to worry about, but that was the only one thing I was really worried about. So we're good now. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Clean the space, right? Like clean the space, clean your room, Jordan Peterson, clean your room. It seems so silly, but then once you do, you kind of zero in on, oh, what is it really? What's that one thing? You know, headspace meditation, it's letting us clean the room upstairs. Absolutely. 100%. All right. Well, then for people listening, where can they find foundation training and then where can they connect with you online? Uh, you can find foundation training, um, foundationtraining.com. I highly recommend ftstreaming.com. Get started, do two weeks for free, build the ritual. But my caveat is show up, do it every day for two weeks and see how you feel, see where, how you're functioning. Do the baseline program, take your time, ask questions in the community section. You can find me easiest is Instagram at Coach J, capital J, then my last name, S-A-L-A-S. So Coach J Salas. Um, that's 
pretty much the only spot I'm really active. I, I try to engage and answer questions and, um, you know, provide entertainment, but also stuff that I'm reading. And I'm going, wow, this is really cool. This benefits me. This can benefit somebody else. And so I try to share stuff there and otherwise give peeks into life as a nomadic gypsy ex-firefighter, play around jujitsu, surfer, kickboxer, avid outdoor guy. Well, it seems like yesterday that I stood outside Orlando Station One like a drowned rat um, to come meet you and, and get a heads up on the interview that I was going to take with them, um, which was the very first thing I ever tested for in the fire service. I was honest about drugs I tried in the past and got the application thrown in my face. And then the very last one, those are the only two that I didn't get. And Orlando, I think it was, you know, four departments in they were like hmm yeah you know and then i didn't smash the ems portion i missed a tube so i'll own you know my my deficiencies but it wasn't meant to be but i remember you were talking about teaching more and traveling and i had an idea for a book and here we are now the book is written you're you know nomading around the world and based in um oahu so uh it's been an amazing, amazing journey so far. And I'm just so, so honored to have you back on the show and looking forward to seeing you in June. So thank you so much for once again being so generous with your time. Pleasure, my brother. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, you took me down memory lane right there. Amazing. As so I say for everybody, man, dream big. Think about whatever it is you want to do and go after it because the only thing in your way is you. And it's going to unfold in a way you can never imagine. And you're going to find your places as long as you're putting in the work and willing to keep showing up. It's going to just unfold in something you can't better than you can imagine, but you got to do the work. So thanks for having me, James. Always a pleasure. <laughs>